Moral hazard is when somebody takes your money and is not responsible for it. This guy James, he must walk between raindrops. He's a monkey dancing on a razor blade. Not only did he start the rumors as able to get your bank for peanuts, the guy was trading for his own account on this uh, locust fund. He was. He was. And he was betting against the market that he was making. But the kicker is, so was his firm. Churchill Schwartz was shorting subprimes. Yeah, for the last two years, they've been hedging. Not just subprimes, primes, indexes, the whole thing. But they knew this home loan fantasy was going to collapse the market. And when they did, they got the feds to bail out their bad insurance swaps, a hundred cents on the dollar. I mean, talk about an evil empire. This puts me to shame. And I'm small time compared to these crooks. The system's insolvent. No one knows what to do next, except repeat the insanity till the next bubble blows. That'll be the one. The big one. We can still go after James on this. Just bring it all out. Easy, Trigger. Media is not going to get in the way of Churchill or the government. They want their profits just like the rest of us. It's unethical, but it's not illegal. Welcome to the main event. Open up with that scene from the movie Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. And uh, I'm watching it the other day, and I and I noticed, you know, I've seen this moral hazard scene many, many times. And as I heard it this time, you know, he's talking about how uh, how this guy, uh, Brett and James, is is trading is trading with a with a with an offshore offshore fund called Locust Fund, and he's betting against it doing uh, credit default swaps. Um, that says, "Hey, basically, if if this thing, if this, if the mortgage market fails, we get we get paid." Which, if you've seen The Big Short, it's all about that. It's the whole thing's about about uh, the credit default swaps and how the the whole market was was betting against. The crappy uh, mortgages they're putting out, and the important part of that scene was when he says, "He says, hey, we could expose it." He goes, "He goes, you know, settle down, trigger. The media is not going to turn against turn against this company, nor the government, because they want to get their profit like everyone else." And that just made my made a light bulb turn on, and I said, "You know what? These are the things that we don't notice the first time we watch a movie." And we, as we experience, as we experience life and we start to see, see what's going on now, how the media, how the media, you know, we see what's going on with Biden. And if you watch CNN, you watch MSNBC, you listen to certain, certain different channels out there and you subscribe to different websites, they're all trying to hide it. We see what's going on, but they're all trying to mask over it like Biden's Biden's still running the country, and Biden knows what's going on, and Biden doesn't have a cog- cognitive problem, and all this stuff. The media is making sure that America stays stupid. We'll talk more about that later. That song was "I'm Not the One" by the Cars, and I just thought it was uh, fitting. You know, I'm not the one that you'll be shooting for. I'm not the one who's coming back for more. That's Biden. 
We know, and we're going to talk about that today as well, about how they're going to get Biden from running for president just as soon as he can do it without losing face. Well, we're going to talk about that and everything else that's going on this week. But first, before I go any further, let me introduce myself. For those who don't know me, my name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage Corporation. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and as the interest rates, as the interest rates fall down, fall this, this year, and you see the Fed's going to drop rates five or six times this year, it'll probably start in May. Um, which is what most of the economists are thinking. They'll start, they'll start dropping the, dropping the rates in May and then in June maybe they'll, they'll do maybe a quarter point in May and maybe a half point in June. And we'll see rates start to come down, which will directly affect all your credit cards, which will directly affect all your HELOCs and, uh, will directly, uh, affect car loans. But, Will indirectly affect the mortgage rates as the as the market comes down and say Biden will try to will try to take credit for that saying look I'm lowering the rates the rates lower because we're in a recession because the economy is crappy and uh, and you'll see lots of people being laid off and you'll see all kinds of problems coming up and the Federal Reserve will try to influence the market by dropping the rates to in, to inspire everybody to go buy houses and to uh, help businesses expand with cheap money. And of course, that manipulation will, uh, will create all p- kinds of problems later. And as, 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 uh, Gordon Gecko said in that thing, hey, the system's insolvent and nobody knows what to do with it, do about it, other than just keep going on the cycle until, until the next, till the next big bubble burst. And, uh, that's where we are, folks. That's where we are. The, you know, the government is corrupt. Everything or everything about it is corrupt. And uh, for those of us that didn't really think it could happen in the United States, that's where we are. Um, so anyway, if you're interested in getting in, involved in any of those fantastic opportunities, you need financing. Call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to uh, get some information about mortgages or financing or real estate, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet because it's so personal, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net, and click on the United American Mortgage logo, and uh, you can put in as much information you want me to have and tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates will help you uh, find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. If there's any part of the show you want repeated or you missed one one week, stay on edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page and you can uh, there you can you can get uh, this this week's show or several shows uh, from the past and you can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcast where you can subscribe for free and have it do- download to your computer, your your uh, your phone, your iPad, your 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 iPod, your mini pad, your maxi pad, anything you can get a uh, podcast on and you can listen to it whenever it's convenient for you. Also if you have uh, if you have comments on the show send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. So let's talk about uh, what's going on. An onslaught of gaffes related to Biden's mental acuity have surfaced in the recent weeks. We've been covering them here, and you've no doubt seen the footage elsewhere. Mixing up the countries of Germany and France, calling the president of Egypt by the name of president of Mexico, claiming he's recently spoke to a French president who died in the 90s. We've all heard it. We've all seen it. And it's forced the White House to put an even thicker protective layer around Joe Biden. So at this point, figuratively speaking, Joe Biden has one of those uh, sumo wrestler uh, suits that looks like a big balloon. So no one can get no one can get close to him. Last week, it was announcing that he wouldn't do the traditional presidential Super Bowl interview for the second year in a row. He broke 20 years of tradition. This week, it was announcing that a cognitive test will not be part of his upcoming physical exam because he proves every day how he thinks and operates. Does the White House think that the, the idea of the president taking a cognition test, a cognitive test, as a part of this uh, physical is a legitimate idea? The president proves every day how he operates, how he thinks, right? But by dealing with world leaders, by making really difficult decisions on behalf of the, the American people, whether it's domestic, whether it's national security. And so he shows it every day on how he thinks, how he operates. Uh, and so that is how uh, that is how the Dr. O'Connor sees it, and that's how I'm going to leave it. 
Yeah, he shows every day how he thinks and, uh, and, and how he operates. And that's exactly why America wants a cognitive test. We see how he handles difficult, difficult, uh, d- uh, choices and decisions. He doesn't make any. So, uh, now let's remember what we learned last week. The special counsel, Robert Hur, is not, not recommending criminal charges against Biden in the stolen classified documents case because, quote, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to the jury as he did during our interview of him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. This little sentence has every Democrat and every liberal pundit uh, saying, Robert Hur is not a doctor. You know, he, 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 he had, he, he shouldn't be commenting on his, on his, uh, his mental acuity. Well, he had to say something. Otherwise, otherwise, why isn't he recommending prosecution on all the laws that he broke? You know, taking uh, classified documents out of that uh, secured space underneath the Capitol where senators and and, uh, and Congress people get to look at them. You know, you go in, you go in with nothing. You can't bring your phone. You look at these documents and you're not allowed to take them out. But somehow Biden had him uh, had him from when he was a senator. And they were unsecure in, in boxes that looked like they'd been through the rain and they were open next to his Corvette. And of course, Biden came out and said, you know, my documents were all in locked or lockable or lockable filing cabinets, except those ones in the garage. Well, you know what? I closed the door in the garage and I don't just leave it open all the time. Yeah, exactly. I always close my garage except for when I don't. And uh, I can remember one night. One night, I forgot to close my garage, and the next morning, my son's bike is my son's bicycle was gone. That was a long time ago, but that's what th- what things happen. You forget to close the close the garage door, and classified documents are right there to be had. So this week, three prominent House Republicans are pressing for the White House to sign off on the release of the deposition. Oversight Chair James Comer of Kentucky. Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan of Ohio and Ways and Means Chair Jason Smith of Missouri sent Attorney General Merrick Garland a letter on Monday asking the Department of Justice to turn over the transcripts and recordings of Biden's interview with the special counsel. So they can then in turn turn them over to the Judiciary Committee, which is making the case for the Department of Justice treating Biden's alleged criminality different than Trump's alleged criminality. Their letter says... This committee on judiciary requires these documents for its ongoing oversight of the department's commitment to impartial justice and its handling of the investigation and prosecution of President Biden's presumptive opponent, Donald J. Trump, in the November 24 presidential election. Right now, unless Merrick Garland forces the Biden administration's hand, it's up to the White House as to whether we see those transcripts. Really? You know, what do we think the White House is going to do? Well, if we release those transcripts or, or hopefully they have video, uh, video of the, of the conversation. If we release those, it's just going to make us look like, uh, Biden's an idiot. Biden's, uh, Mr. Magoo. He doesn't, he can't see, can't hear, can't think. And, uh, what do you think the White House is going to do about that? From the Hill on Wednesday, White House faces tough call on releasing special counsel transcript. The White House is weighing whether to release the transcript of President Biden's interview with special counsel Robert Hur, which could either diffuse concerns about Biden's age or add to them. The White House has left the door open to releasing the transcript once it's declassified after issuing a fierce defense against what they described as gratuitous and politically motivated passages that characterize Biden as an elderly man with memory problems. What else could Robert Hur do? He broke the law. You either prosecute him or make an excuse why you're not going to prosecute him. Back to the article. One former White House aide said the transcript could provide a powerful tool to refute the narrative about his age and prove her was playing politics with the reports. But it's not entirely clear the White House wants the transcript out. Clearly, because it could, it could provide a powerful tool to refute that there's a problem, but we know the fact. It's not going to. It's going to just add to it, showing that what a airhead our president is. The reason it's not clear is because press secretary, the person whose job it is to make things clear, a job which she fails at miserably on a daily basis, is answering questions on this in a very unclear manner.
Why won't the White House commit to releasing even a redacted version of the transcripts if asked classified information? And I'm not saying that we're not committing. I'm saying that they're looking at it. I'm saying that they, meaning the White House Counsel's Office, is looking at it. Just, I just don't have anything to share with you at this time. Uh, it is not a no and it is not a yes. It is we are looking at this. There's processes, there's protocols, and they're looking through that. And uh, she she forgot to add, the Biden administration takes cognitive ability very seriously, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that that uh, he he doesn't ha- he doesn't be an airhead, and we're going to use the full force of the federal government to make sure that him being an airhead never happens again. So let's get to Biden's own words on his age and acuity. This is a question from Fox's Hillary Vaughn. Mr. President, in December, you told me that you believe there are many other Democrats who could defeat Donald Trump. So why does it have to be you now? What, what is your answer to that question? I'm the most question? qualified person in this country to be president of the United States and finish the job I started. Well, he's the most qualified person to be the president of the United States. Well, I don't think he's the most qualified person to be the president of the United States to save this country. But he's probably the most he's most qualified person to finish the job he started, which is destroying our country, letting uh, letting enough left uh, foreigners into our country unvetted to where the Americans are the are the minority and we don't have control of anything. Well, there's plenty in his party who don't agree whether whether they'll say it publicly or not is another is another uh, another question. But how would that play out? Politico attempted to answer this question this week in a piece called Democrats Might Need a Plan B. Here's what it looks like. So far, Democrats have vigorously avoided any discussion of a plan B for their presidential nominee. But special counsel Robert Hur's report may have forced their hand. Because of the procedural and political hurdles, it would not be easy to simply swap him out. But it's possible to envision different scenarios where a party does indeed nominate someone other than Biden at the August convention or even picks an alternative afterward to compete in the historic general election. The piece makes it clear at this point it simply isn't possible for a white knight candidate to enter the race because the filing deadlines for primary ballot access will be will have passed in all but six states by the end of this month. The six states that. Someone could still still register to be in our Montana, Nebraska, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, and South Dakota, in addition to Washington, D.C. And there's just not enough delegates in those six states to get anybody to get anybody the nomination. So if someone declared their candidacy in those six states, uh, the other 44 states would they would have to ignore because they wouldn't be on the ballot. However, it goes on to describe a scenario which Biden would willfully step aside back to this article. Here's how it would work. Short of incapacitation or a highly unlikely convention floor revolt from delegates already pledged to Biden and loyal to the president, there's only one practical plan B, and that's Biden himself agreeing to hand over the baton. He's a proud man whose ego has has been shaped by experience of winning election to the Senate in his 20s and then being denied the presidency several times before finally securing it, convincing him that he's in an increasingly untenable position and needs to stand down won't come easy. Clearly, this guy believes that he really won. He's so stupid that the party stole the election without without his his figuring it out. He's possibly uh, went to bed on November 3rd, 2020. He went to bed early on election night and didn't, uh, didn't have a chance to see what we all saw that he was uh, th- hundreds of thousands of votes behind in uh, in the in the swing states, and all of a sudden we just stopped voting. For the first time in history, we stopped voting when we had uh, like ninety five percent of the votes counted, and we just stopped. And we started up the next morning, and four hours later, they were neck and neck, or Biden was ahead. And uh, but Biden slept through that; he didn't see it. Uh, but there is a path that enables him to leave with dignity and on his terms. It begins with him letting the Democrat primary campaign run its course, ending June 4th, the date the last group of states holds its primaries. Biden would finish as the undisputed victor with far more than 1,968 pledged delegate votes necessary to claim the nomination. And then Biden would announce he would not accept the nomination and release his delegates back to a different nominee. He could insist he's still fit to serve out another term, but that he accepts the public's concerns that a president who would be 86 at the end of his second term so he could remind voters that he has always said he was a bridge to a future generation of Democratic leaders. The economy is on track, 
and he could note and argue that he defeated Trump once and protected American democracy. He met his duty. They go on to describe how the party would scramble to find a potential successor between June 4th and August 19th when the convention starts. And, of course, the number one elephant in the room has to, has to do with the most obvious successor being a very unpopular choice. Back to the article. The thorniest issue will be Vice President Kamala Harris. Biden's delegates do not automatically attach to her, to attach to her in his absence. Her poor approval ratings and her performance in the 2020 primaries would not have not inspired confidence. The story then names Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer as being strong prospects over Harris. Of course, I'll add in here, Gretchen Whitmer and uh, Gavin Newsom are both white. And of course, remember he had to he had to nominate a a uh, a colored female, you know, some uh, for his vice president. And then we're going to jump over that over that supposedly alleged black girl and put a Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer, a a white guy or a white girl in there, and that's going to create all kinds of problems with the black vote. Nikki Haley was asked about this on Fox this week, and instead of answering the question about Kamala Harris's electability, she turned it into an attack on her Republican rival. There will be a female president of the United States. The hard truth is it will either be me or it will be Kamala Harris. If you look at any of those general election polls, Trump loses to Biden. I defeat Biden. There was another Marquette poll that showed Wisconsin. I defeat Biden by 15 points. Trump can't defeat Biden. This is a country in disarray and a world on fire. The party that leaves their 80-year-old candidate behind is the party that will win. Mark my words. It is hugely important that we get a new generational conservative leader in the White House that leaves the baggage and the negativity behind. It's hugely important. You know what? Is important have a D in it? It's hugely important. Uh, you know what? I don't want a president that can't that can't speak the English language. Um, you know, I'll give it. I'll give it to Nikki Haley. She's she's focused. She's focused on her uh, on her goal, and that's don't ever stop talking about why she's going to be the next president. Don't ever talk about why Trump can't win. Don't ever talk. Don't ever stop. Don't ever become a a political pundit. You're a presidential candidate. Don't ever take your eyes off that. Of course, she has to win something in order to become the the nominee. And so far, she's uh, she's lost uh, Nevada and Iowa and New Hampshire. And we're going into South Carolina next week. Next week, I think it is Tuesday after next. Anyway, it's I think it's the twenty third. Um, and she's like forty points behind in the polls. So even in her own state, I think that might be a problem. But uh, but she but what she won't do is accept the fact that America wants Trump, not because we think Trump got cheated, not because we think that uh, Trump deserves another chance, because we saw what Trump did as president. We saw what he did for our lives. We saw what he did for the economy. We saw what he did for our energy policy. We saw what he did for our dependence on on China and other and other countries. We saw. We saw against all odds, against all the uh, opposition he got from his own party, as well as the Democrats. He pressed on to keep uh, to keep companies from leaving our country, to keep them from moving their things, their their companies to Mexico and other countries because it's cheaper to do business there. He uh, pressed on to get our to get our southern wall built. Uh, he he pressed to keep our energy our energy uh, independence. And our energy dominance, as he always says, to where we became uh, not dependent on uh, on the Middle East countries that hate us, to make sure that we have energy, and uh, and and he protected our country from wars. He protected, he, you know, we didn't have wars, and he and if we uh, if nobody ever nobody rarely and nobody actually talks about the Abraham Accords, where he was having countries in the Middle East sign peace treaties. And things were starting to look good for people around the world because Trump was strong. We'll talk more about that in the second half, but right now I'm out of time for this half of the main event. So stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and I'll be back with lots more. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event right here on AM590 The Answer. Mortgage rates are up, but credit card rates are way higher. And credit card balances have hit an all-time high as inflation puts the squeeze on everyone's budget. Not to mention how auto loan rates and payments have gone through the roof. 
Let me point out, it doesn't matter how low your existing mortgage interest rate is if you can't make the payments on everything else. Are you wondering what to do? Do you need some financial strategy? Want to talk to someone who thinks like you? Call me at 855-640-2020. We'll discuss a strategy that works for you today and also considers what happens when the interest rates drop as we move into the inevitable recession. To have that discussion, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer. I'm not the one that you'll be breaking it. And I'm not the one that you'll be taking it. Try to drive you crack the shell When you fake I get tell Part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about mortgages and financing, uh, but I can. I could uh, talk for hours and hours and hours on it because I've been doing it since 1990. And I will tell you that uh, interest rates are coming down this year. And if you're thinking about buying a house in California or another state and you're thinking, I'll wait till the rates come down, probably not as good of a choice because when the rates come down, the competition will be out and all the and all the sheep that are that are waiting will be will coming at will be coming out where and where the the economy would indicate that we'll probably have drops in prices because the fed will lower the rates it'll increase demand it will increase demand and push the prices up so you're probably better off buying something now Knowing full and doing a, doing a loan that doesn't cost you very much, knowing full well that you're going to be refinancing it a year from now when the rates have come down and, uh, they'll probably keep coming down and down and down for a couple of years because, uh, the feds will drop it to, to, uh, get the economy going and then Trump will come in and really get it going and we'll see all kinds of things change for the better. Unless the Democrats, uh, well, let's say unless the Republicans don't do their job and make sure that they don't cheat. I know I got my ballot in the mail for uh, for California. I got my ballot in the mail the other day, which just proves that California votes are going to be uh, are going to be fraudulent as hell. And uh, and, you know, what? let's talk about let's talk about uh, our uh, our race for the Senate. You know, Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff, Adam stealing steaming pile of Schiff is running for uh, Senate now. And, uh, and, you know, I liked Eric Early when Eric Early ran against him for, uh, for Congress, but apparently didn't have enough name recognition and, uh, Schiff won re-election. Now he's running against him as Senate, and I think he had a pretty good chance until Steve Garvey got in and sucked all the air out of the room. Uh, kind of what happened with, uh, the governor, the governor race when, uh, Gray Davis was being recalled. And it looked like Tom McClintock was going to be a a good uh, a good candidate, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger got in and sucked all the air out of the room. So you know what? Uh, I haven't seen one commercial for Steve Garvey. I, I get lots of emails from him, and I actually uh, sent some money to him, but uh, I haven't seen him. Apparently, not getting enough stuff to to put out commercials yet. I'm sure he's making the round speaking, but it just, the California Republican party just doesn't support their candidates because they don't think California is important. And, uh, and I'm sure Steve Garvey will be the, will be the one, uh, not because he's the best candidate, because he's got the best chance of winning. So, uh, we'll talk about that more as we get closer and closer to November. So let's talk about, uh, a new national security threat. New national security threat coming up, 
and uh, exploiting this new crisis. There's a new national security threat, and Joe Biden is about to exploit it for the purposes of getting his $95 billion border-free aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan passed. While details of the threat are slowly trickling in, here's some background. On Tuesday, the aid, pack- the aid package passed the Senate 70 to 29, which basically means 19 Republicans voted for it. And uh, I'm not going to go through their names, but uh, I, I don't know how, how, the, how the, the Republicans turn on, turn on America. It now faces an uncertain fate in the House where Republicans just finished drafting their own, their own bill to counter that bill on which that bill that passed the Senate. This one includes aid for the border. So breaking Friday morning, the House unveiled their package called the Defending Borders, Defending Democracies Act. In this one, it's $47 billion for Ukraine, which has nothing to do with our border. $10 billion for Israel, which is still one-fifth of what we're giving to Ukraine. $5 billion for the Indo-Pacific, which is Taiwan, giving, giving them a weapon so they can... Uh, so they can keep their independence away from China, and $2 billion to support operations in the U.S. Central Command, which is uh, to support the troops uh, in the Middle East that are being attacked. Seems like uh, we have a we have a defense budget. We have weapons. Why don't we just defend ourselves? But for the, Democrat, for the Democrats, for the government, it's all about money. You know what? Hey, look at what we've done for America. What have you done? You spent money. No results, just just money. So uh, the border portion of the bill set includes, number one, resurrect the Remain in Mexico policy for one year, after which Biden, uh, after which time Trump will be back in there and make it permanent. Require that Homeland Security suspends entry of inadmissible migrants at the border if it is necessary to achieve operational control of the border. My question is, is what's inadmissible migrants? And... If it's necessary to achieve operational control, who makes that decision? Call for detention and expulsion to Mexico without a hearing or review when migrants are deemed inadmissible. Who makes that, who deem who deems that title inadmissible? Uh, what does inadmissible even mean? Hard to believe that this is a Republican bill. I like the fact that it's not saying, "Hey, we're going to give this much money for." They're actually calling out what needs to happen, but there's too many, there's too many gotchas in here. There's too many if. There's too many may. It, it's not, there's, you know, when you, when you read laws, when it says the, that the law is, it's not could be. When it says the law will, not may. When there's all these little, all these little, uh, all these little words that are, that are, uh, that are just not committal. They're not strong. They're not, uh, they're ambiguous. That's the word I'm looking for. These little, these little terms that are ambiguous, that leaves, uh, that leaves a, a margin for interpretation. So, uh, if we have a, if we have a, a weak administration that doesn't really want to control the border, it gives them out. Well, you know what? We didn't think it was necessary to achieve operational control of the border. They've been telling us for three years that the border's under control. So what does that mean if it's necessary to achieve operational control? This, my friends, is BS. So, and I, and it, and it angers me that the Republicans put this out. So now back to, now back to the Tuesday and the, and the, uh, and the bill that the Senate, Senate passed. On Tuesday, Joe Biden gave White House address to emphasize his support for the package and scare House Republicans into voting for it. Early this morning, the United States Senate, as you all know, voted overwhelmingly by a margin of 70 to 29 to move forward the bipartisan national security bill. Now, now it moves to the House. And I urge Speaker Johnson to bring it to the floor immediately, immediately. There's no question that if the Senate bill was put on the floor in the House of Representatives, it would pass. It would pass. And the Speaker knows that. So I call on the Speaker to let the full House speak its mind and not allow a minority of most extreme voices in the House to block this bill even from being voted on. Even from being voted on. This is a critical act for the House to move. It needs to move. The bill provides urgent funding for Ukraine 
so it can keep defending itself against Putin's vicious, vicious onslaught. This bipartisan bill sends a clear message to Ukrainians and to our partners and to our allies around the world. America can be trusted. America can be relied upon. And America stands up for freedom. We stand strong for our allies. We never bow down to anyone, and certainly not to Vladimir Putin. So let's get on with this. Remember, the United States pulled together a coalition of nearly 50 nations to support Ukraine. We unified NATO, expanded it. We can't walk away now. That's what Putin's betting on. He's, he just flatly said that. Supporting this bill is standing up to Putin. Opposing it is playing into Putin's hands. As I've said before, the stakes in this fight extend far beyond Ukraine. If we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself just to Ukraine. And the cost for America and our allies and partners is going to rise. For Republicans in Congress who think they can oppose funding for Ukraine and not be held accountable, history is watching. History is watching. History is watching. Yeah, apparently Biden had a few scratches in his record. You know, uh, if we hadn't lifted the needle on that, he'd still be saying, history is watching. History is watching. History is watching. History is watching. You know, if you noticed, uh, you know, he said, it would pass. It would pass. You know, uh, um, even, even for being voted on, even for being voted on, it needs to move. It needs to move. He's got a, he's got a few little scratches there. He keeps repeating himself. And you know what, uh, the bottom line is the Republicans are more concerned with our border. You know, it's, uh, all evidence to the contrary based on, uh, this bill they came up with. But you know, the Republicans don't want to, in the House don't want to vote for this because we're more concerned with our border than the border of Ukraine. And of course, Biden is just trying to scare the crap out of everybody, um, to make sure that, you know, to, to guilt everybody into voting yes. Biden also addressed some remarks by Trump. So let's hear, hear those next. At a rally on February 10th, Trump said, said this regarding NATO members who want, to, want protection from the United States, whether or not they follow NATO rules on defense spending. NATO wants its member nations to spend 2% of their GDP on defense. And he's quoting, he's quoting a conversation he had while he was president. But there are countries that don't always do this. Don't always do the the 2%. Trump was uh, recalling a conversation about it with a large NATO member when he was president. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You know what? Uh, I love that. You know, let's not sugarcoat anything, uh, President Trump. Let's just say it like it is, because that's the easiest way that people understand it. In the same speech on Tuesday designed to strong-arm House Republicans into sending Ukraine more money, Biden blasted the NATO remark from Trump. The stakes were already high for American security before this bill was passed in the Senate last night. But in recent days, those stakes have risen. And that's because the former president has sent a dangerous and shockingly, frankly, un-American signal to the world. Just a few days ago, Trump gave an invitation to Putin to invade some of our allies, NATO allies. He said if an ally didn't spend enough money on defense, he would encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want, end of quote. Can you imagine a former president of the United States saying that? The whole world heard it. The worst thing is he means it. Yeah, he sent a message, message to Vladimir Putin just a few days ago. Really? I don't think that was a, a message a few days ago. I think that was a message a couple a couple of months ago or a couple of couple of years ago. Now let's get on some fact let's get some facts straight about Putin. This is Morgan Ortega, State Department spokesperson under Trump, who now runs her own national security firm, Polaris Security. Putin decided to invade under President Bush, under President Obama, and under President Biden, not under President Trump. So if anybody has given Putin an invitation, I have detailed on my website of Polaris National Security the 20, 15 to 20 different policy failures by the Biden administration and by Biden himself that led to Putin's invasion. Don't forget the minor incursion gaffe uh, from President Biden. Don't forget they're the ones who stopped the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that we were pursuing in the Trump administration. 
administration. They're the ones who were enforcing sanctions on Iran. And Iran, by the way, has continued to supply Russia with uh, legal, lethal weaponry like drones, uh, like now reportedly more ammunition, even ballistic missiles. So his policy towards Putin, towards Russia, has utterly failed. And there are thousands and thousands of dead Ukrainians because of President Biden's policy and his deterrence failure. So spare me from somebody who just saw the worst war on European soil since World War II break out on their watch. I'll take lectures from somebody else. Exactly, exactly. Here's here's a quick overview of the string of failures she's referring to. It starts in the 2020 campaign when Biden made a big promise to help Ukraine defend itself from Putin. Then he becomes president and things change. In June of 21, remember, he took he took uh, office in January 21. So in June, Biden allowed his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, to admit that we're holding assistance to Ukraine until there's a Russian military incursion. Well, if you know there's going to be a, a Russian uh, Russian invasion, why don't you give them the give them the the aid now ahead of time? December of 21, Biden ignored pleas from Zelensky for military aid despite intelligence that Putin was gearing up to invade. Of course, you know, seeing the Russian military lined up at the border of Ukraine uh, should have been a should have been a clue. And of course, if you remember remember say, "Hey, why don't you put uh sanctions on Russia?" Well, they haven't done anything yet. Yeah, well, you can see they're lined up on the Ukraine border. What do they have to do first? You, I gotta go kill a, you know, 50 or 100,000 Ukrainians before we're gonna actually tell, tell uh, Russia to back off. Trump would have said, hey, I see what you're doing. Back the hell off. We're doing, uh, we're putting these sanctions on you till you back off. And before the thing starts, he would have done, he would have made it, made it tough on Russia. January of 22, Biden's infamous minor incursion remark. Another inv- invitation to Putin to invade when he said, well, you know, if they just commit a minor incursion, there there won't be any major retaliation. So basically, hey, you know what? Uh, if you just do a minor incursion, we're not going to do anything. What's a minor incursion? That's another ambiguous term. Well, you know, if, uh, if you don't kill more than uh, 10 people, then uh, that's okay. Or if you only if you don't kill more than fifty thousand people, that's okay. What is a minor incursion? But he made that speech and said he's not going to do anything if it's a minor incursion. And now, two years into the war, Putin is more empowered than ever. A new crisis just emerged this week, and it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Is it a real crisis? Who knows? We're not even sure about that. And you would think we would be hearing about this from the president. And, uh, and of course, apparently we're just starting to hear about it this week, but this hasn't been just a week since anybody's known about it. Here's what we know. Wednesday, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner said in a statement that his panel had made available to all members of Congress information concerning a serious national security threat. I am requesting that President Biden declassify all information relating to this threat so that Congress so that Congress, the administration, and our allies can openly discuss the actions necessary to respond to this threat, Turner said. Okay, but we still don't know what the threat was. Then Speaker Mike Johnson was compelled to come out and give this message, and, and notice, he says, he, said, he says, last month. Listen to this statement from uh, Mike Johnson. I do have a statement, and I'm, I'm going to be very precise, and I'm not going to take questions, but... Last month, I sent a letter to the White House requesting a meeting with the President to discuss a serious national security issue that is classified. In response to that letter, a meeting is now scheduled tomorrow on this matter here at the Capitol with the Gang of Four and with the President's National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. I will press the administration to take appropriate action, and everybody can uh, be comforted by that. I saw Chairman Turner's statement on the issue. And I, I want to assure the American people there's no need for public alarm. We are going to work together to address this matter, as we do all sensitive matters that are classified. And beyond that, uh, I'm not at liberty to disclose classified information and really can't say much more. But we just want to assure everyone, um, steady hands are at the wheel. We're working on it, and there's no need for alarm. Yeah, so last month he sends a letter to uh, the president saying we need to have this discussion, and now it's now a month later it's uh, it's set up for next week. You know what? They take these national security threats seriously, and they and they and they jump on them right. They, you know, Biden makes uh, makes decisions and does his operations. We shouldn't question his cogn- cognitive abilities because we see how he thinks and operates. 
Yeah, we do. All this creates all this all this creates anxiety in the American people. And is it even real, or is it just a plan to get everybody, uh, you know, behind the the let's support Ukraine because Russia's getting out of hand? So what was this threat? ABC News was the first to break the story Wednesday afternoon. GOP warning of national security threat is about Russia wanting nuclear wars in space. Well, let's let's add in this little this little tidbit. You know, Russia Russia President Vladimir Putin uh, puts people that speak out against him. Uh, you know, he he puts them in jail or they just mysteriously die. Remember uh, the head of the Wagner Wagner chief uh, Pergosian, how uh, he uh, had some words words against uh, Putin, and then uh, a couple of months later. He mysteriously dies in a plane crash. And apparently now there's uh, someone named Alexei Navalny who was uh, put in jail for speaking out against uh, Putin. And uh, we just find out this morning, Friday, that uh, he mysteriously died. You know, he uh, he went out for a walk in jail and just uh, lost his, his strength and, and passed out and died. So obviously they poisoned him. Isn't that similar to what Biden's doing with his Department of Justice. Hey, you know what? We don't like Bi- we don't like Trump because he's uh, saying stuff against us. He's trying to take us out of office. So let's prosecute him. Let's prosecute him in Georgia. Let's prosecute him in Washington D.C. Let's prosecute him in New York. You know what? It's just it's just not even not even subtle. It's so obvious to everybody that this is going on. And uh, of course, the way the the wheels work in government. We won't have any uh, justice on this till after Biden's out. So two sources familiar with deliberations on Capitol Hill said the intelligence has to do with Russia wanting to put a nuclear weapon into space. This would not be to drop a nuclear weapon on Earth, but rather to possibly use against satellites. Still, it's very concerning and very sensitive, one one source said, calling it a big deal. Remember how Trump created a space force and everybody kind of laughed at him? Until the head of Space Forces is Vice President Kamala Harris. And then she goes on TV with some act, some kids that are actors saying, Can you imagine seeing the craters of the moon with your very own eyes? This, this Biden administration is a freaking joke. Lawmakers arrived at the committee space throughout the uh, afternoon to view raw intelligence for Turner's warning against uh, inside a secure facility in the basement of the Capitol. Remember where the classified documents get to be viewed? None of this activity sat well with Jake Sullivan, who told reporters this at Wednesday's press briefing. What can you say about the threat and what the administration plans to do? So first, I reached out uh, earlier this week to the Gang of Eight uh, to offer myself for a, up for a personal briefing to the Gang of Eight. And in fact, we scheduled a briefing for the four House members of the Gang of Eight tomorrow. Uh, that's been on the books. So I am a bit surprised that Congressman Turner came out publicly today in advance of a meeting on the books for me to go sit with him alongside our intelligence and defense professionals tomorrow. This administration has gone further uh, and in more creative, more strategic ways, dealt with the declassi- declassification of intelligence in the national interest of the United States than any administration in history. Uh, so you, you definitely are not going to find an unwillingness to do that when it's in our national security interest to do so. Ability. Are you aware that there is an emerging serious threat here that he's referring to? Again, I'll just say that I personally reached out to the Gang of Eight it is highly unusual, in fact, for the National Security Advisor to do that. I did that uh, to set up a meeting. The Senate's not here. The four House members have agreed to that meeting. This is well before Congressman Turner came out today. We'll have that conversation tomorrow. I'm not going to say anything further. Yeah, do you feel confident? Here's Republican Mike Waltz of Florida. The issue is very serious. It is very grave. This is so serious. We need to make all members of Congress aware of it. Uh, number one, and then number two, that eventually, protecting sources and methods, uh, we're calling on the administration to make the American people and the world uh, aware of it. So I'm okay. glad that the administration's coming over to talk to our leadership tomorrow. Right. But the letters are classified, but he has sent repeated letters to the administration asking that we deal with this situation. So tomorrow's meeting needs to not be a discussion. We want to know what the hell the administration is going to do about it. Okay. 
yeah, they're gonna they're gonna make decisions and uh, show us how Biden operates. You think it's uh, you think it's weird that we're not hearing anything from the president on this? We're hearing it from from Congress people and various people stepping up to the mic. We're not hearing anything from the president. And uh, you know, if this is something that wasn't supposed to get out, it shouldn't have got out. And of course, this started a month ago, and nothing's been done, and the president hasn't engaged in that. Do you think that's does that install confidence in you? Does it make you feel proud to have a, a president who's representing us? We have the strongest military in the world. We just don't have the guts to use it. We have the we have the the best intelligence in the world. We just don't use any of it. We put the we put the most incompetent president with the most incompetent but the most diverse cabinet ever. You know, it's not a question of making sure that people that are in these cabinet positions have competence to actually carry out their duties. It's more important that we have enough black people and white people and Asian people and uh, gay people and transgender people. We want to make sure that we don't leave any group out. I just assume as an American, as a taxpayer, that, hey, put the put the best and brightest in every position. I don't care what color they are or what gender they are. Just put the smartest people in there and protect our country. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. So, uh, again, my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back again with you next week. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event right here on AM590, The Answer. Mortgage rates are up, but credit card rates are way higher, and credit card balances have hit an all-time high as inflation puts the squeeze on everyone's budget, not to mention how auto loan rates and payments have gone through the roof. Let me point out, it doesn't matter how low your existing mortgage interest rate is if you can't make the payments on everything else. Are you wondering what to do? Do you need some financial strategy? Want to talk to someone who thinks like you? Call me at 855-640-2020. We'll discuss a strategy that works for you today and also considers what happens when the interest rates drop as we move into the inevitable recession. To have that discussion, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net. And click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer.